Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning the third Aliyah in Parsha Shmini. The topic of our Aliyah is the strange fire. It is 12 psukim long running from Perek Tes Chaf Aleph to Perek Yud, Yud Aleph. Basic overview of the Aliyah is, is a rather tragic one. What happens is, is that the, as Moshe and Aaron have now brought back the Divine Presence to the Mishkan, the, this is the first time we're now seeing this on the eighth day of the inauguration ceremony is the homecoming. It's really the moment of reconnection after the Chet Egel. It's a very beautiful moment. But at that point in time, Nadav and Aviu, um, Aaron's two sons, go take their fire pans, they place fire in them, and they bring incense, and they bring as Eish Zara, a strange fire, Asher Lotziva, or some which Hashem did not command them to bring. At which point, a fire emanates um, from in front of Hashem, and it consumes them and kills them upon this cru- crucial day. And uh, Moshe Rabbeinu tells Aaron, Who Asher Diber Hashem Limor, this is what Hashem said, Bekrovai Ekadesh, through my holy, my close ones, I will be sanctified, and through the nation I'll be honored. Vayidom Aaron, Aaron is silent. Moshe then turns to Mishael and El Safon, uh, uh, they are the ch- children of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and they, they uh, tell him to bring out the bodies from the Kodesh, from the sanctuary. And, uh, and they, they're put in their shirts, they're, they're carried out, the bodies of Nadav and Aviyu. And, uh, and then he, Moshe Rabbeinu tells that the family is not allowed to mourn. That the Altifra, big day chem, Shechem Altifra, don't undo your hair, big day chem Altifra, and don't rent your clothing, lest you die by doing such a thing. Um, and that you will not be able to leave the oil moid, not be able to observe the regular laws. Of Avelos. At the very end, Hashem turns to Aaron and says, um, You're not allowed to drink when you enter into the oil moed. No, no alcohol is to be consumed when you enter into the, the, the tent of meeting. And this would be Lahavdil to, to differentiate Ben Akodesh, Ben Achol, Ben Atome, Ben Atohar between the holy and the mundane, between the pure and the impure. A very troubling Aliyah. Most basic question is what went wrong? What did Anadov and Avihu do? The Ibn Ezra says on the most basic level, if you read the actual words in the Pasuk, it is they brought Katoris. They decided to bring their own uh, sacrifice. They saw this incredible you know, power that was happening around them, and they decided this is the time now to bring their own sacrifice. And they did it, but they did it without the bidding or request of Hashem. Rav Hirsch takes us a little further and explains that the difference between a pagan and a monotheist, the, the, the pagan and the Jew, is that the pagan serves the deity in order for the deity to do something for them. So they're going to do all these services and rituals and everything else, and they'll do the dance and the sacrifice, everything they need to do in order to get that deity to do something for them. But ultimately, in Judaism, that's that's not the way it works. We, as the, the so to speak, the servants, are actually the ones serving God, not trying to get God to do something for us, which means to say it's on His terms, not our terms, which is why, when it comes to specifically the service of God, and certainly in His house, it is very prescribed. It's not prescribed by us, it's prescribed by God. Everything is very precise. There's no beating around the bush. There's no creativity, and I'll do it my way to show that I want to get it this way, because it's not about you, it's about God. And therefore, the, this is specific, the lesson that's being learned over here, this suggests Rob Hirsch, is that at this crucial moment in time, the base of is not a place where you serve God because you want something from Him. You serve God because of it's on your own terms. No, you serve God because it's the way He says it, on His terms, in His way, at His times. Rashi adds another two reasons, and that is, is that he suggests that, uh, quoting the Midrash, that they, they, they taught a halacha in the place of their masters. They, should, they, they, they suggested doing a new halacha, which could very much dovetail with what the Ibn Ezra was saying. 
without consulting Moshe and Aaron. Another possibility Rashi quotes is that they drank wine. And that's why the, the, the warning at the end of the Aliyah afterwards to Aaron is not to drink wine. The Kleakar enumerates another bunch of reasons as well. Now, the five reasons, he suggests that, quoting the Midrash, that they were also mechusar begadim. They entered into the temple improperly clothed. They were not wearing the me'il, the tunic. The, also is that they did not get married, that they would refuse to have children. Also, they commented about Moshe and Aaron. They said, when all these old men die, we'll take their place. So there was a basic lack of respect. So these Midrashim are all very different types of Midrashim. The Kleyakos spends a lot of time trying to explain how all of those fit into the words. Because what is this Aish Zara, this strange, this foreign fire, was the foreign fire of Lashana Rab, which was represented in the Me'il, of, of uh, telling, um, telling telling bad and negative tidings about other people. Was it the fire of drunkenness? Was it the thoughts, the, the thoughts, the un, unfettered thoughts of bachelorhood, not being married? All these these ideas that the Kleyako tries to put into and understand how it le- is learned from the actual Pasuk itself. But if one wants to unite and try to understand what's really going on over here, what what is the uniting principle that Chazal trying to tell us in all these different angles, Perhaps one perspective is that shared with us in the Chidusha of Yosef, Nehemiah Kornitzah. This is a very beautiful thing. And he says that all of these under, uh, underlie a certain basic assumption about life. And he says the, fo- the following. Um, he, he says the, what really is, is that, that they felt so close to Hashem that they felt that they did not need to be involved in earthly activities. They did, thought to themselves that, that all of this involvement in earthly activities, while one is serving the sublime, is is so meaningless. Um, so the, as he, the, the, we know that there's an individual in the Gemara, his name was Ben Azai, and Ben Azai says, Nafshi and he was not able to, to, to get married and get involved in this world that way. And they had the same kind of perspective. So he explains that since they were living in this this this, this world of the sublime, the world world of the theor- of the ethereal, which is the Aish Hakadusha, this f- holy fire which is burning in their midst, but it went so far that they weren't able to to live in the world around them. So for instance, they they couldn't tolerate Moshe and Aaron's leadership because Moshe and Aaron's leadership was was involved in the day to day life, the realities and exigencies of of very complicated real life and people and their issues and all the complications and people are not living up to the value systems. They they, they thought that the leadership was inappropriate. They were too lax. They were too understanding of the people themselves, as an example. Um, it also explains why they would not want to marry marry or to have children is because they thought why even get involved in all the compli- complexity of making lunch the night before and paying school tuition and, and getting kids on the bus and, and all the different behavioral issues it just let's live in the world of the world of the sublime this is what they, what they were working at um, and all of this comes down to the same idea when it came to Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron, they really actually did understand the community. They did understand the complexity of life. Their Aish Zara was the fire uh, which was too burning. It was too ardent. It was too passionate without, without understanding how it relates back to life itself. And that's perhaps what happened over here. And that's too much. What does it mean by Kravai Ekodesh? In my holy ones, I will be sanctified. Rashi tells us a, a very fascinating, a sad fact, and that is Moshe Rabbeinu had some sort of idea that this was going to happen, something was going to happen, because Moshe Rabbeinu tells Aaron um, after their death, he says, he, he says that I know, I knew that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to me that the 
If you take it one step further, what Rav Hirsch points out is that Judaism essentially does not mean that if you are a holier, then you have more um, freedom. If you are a holier, you have more opportunities to, to, cut, to cut corners. No, actually it's quite the opposite. The holier a person gets in Judaism, the more responsibility they have and the more precision with which they are judged. That's what's, that's what's being conveyed over here. It is no easy way out. There's no simple way to, to escape the reality that one is basically dependent on HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even on a greater level because of the responsibility of their high and their lofty stature. That's what is, is as, as Rav Hirsch says in his own words, in the sharpest contrast to the modern point of view, which regards spiritual intellectual greatness as a free pass for moral laxness, and grants men an intellect of greater consideration in lapses against God's law of morality. The Jewish point of view raises the strictness of the demands for morality with each higher degree of intellectuality. What a remarkable perspective. Finally, one last question is, why did Aaron keep quiet and why could they not observe the laws of mourning? Um, so the Rav, Rav Soloveitchik points out in his commentary on the Torah, what Likutim, a very powerful idea, and that is, is that sometimes the Torah and Halacha help or help guide us, and they're attended to us, and they're understanding, and it helps enhance and enrich our lives. But there's sometimes where the Torah asks us to give up parts of who we are, give up parts of the personality, our natural feelings, and this is one of them. Here the Kwarim are at the holiest moment, the holiest day, they're sanctifying the Mishkan. This is the service and the connection to HaKosh Baruch Hashem says at this point in time you need to suspend your individual feelings for the sake of the larger picture which is being described over here. And the, um, in the powerful words of Soloveitchik, he says that this, this sometimes comes into play in our own lives. So he talks about the situation where a person, Rahman and son, loses a dear relative of theirs and it's just before Yom Tov and they come back. And just to quote his words, because it's just so powerful, his words in, in, in the essay called Catharsis, he says um, the following, Mourning in Allah consists of far more than the performance of an external ritual or ceremony. It is the inexperience of black despair, of complete existential failure, of the absurdity of being. It is the grisly experience which overwhelms man, shatters his faith and exposes his eye awareness as a delusion. Similarly, the precept of rejoicing on a holiday includes not only the emotional actions, but a genuine experience of joy as well. And he goes on to further, he says, let's visualize the following in concrete situation. The mourner who has buried a beloved wife or mother returns from the graveyard where he has left part of himself, where he has witnessed the mockery of human existence. He is in a mood to question the validity of our entire axiological universe. The house is empty, dreary, every piece of furniture reminds the mourner of the beloved person he has buried. Every corner is full of memories. Yet the halacha addresses itself to the lonely mourner, whispering to him, Rise from your mourning, cast the ashes from your head, change your clothes, light the festive candles, recite over a cup of wine the kiddush extolling the Lord, for giving us the festivals of gladness and sacred seasons of joy. Pronounce the blessing of Sheikh Yanu. Join the jubilating community who celebrate the holidays if nothing has transpired, as if the beloved person over whose death you grieve were, uh, were with you. The halacha, which at times can be very tender, understanding and accommodating, may on other occasions act like a disciplinarian demanding obedience. The halacha suggests to man, broken in body and spirit, carrying the burden of his absurd existence, 
that he changes mood, that he casts off his grief, grief, grief and choose joy. And that's the, the perspective that the Rav Soledjik says, is that, that sometimes the, the halacha demands on us to make sacrifices we cannot even imagine we were possible to be to make. And this is what is being described over here. And that's why Rashi says, Vayidam Aaron, when Aaron was able to be silent, it was it was taken as a, as a great sense of great debt from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu spoke specifically to Aaron. If you notice, the last paragraph of the Aliyah is Hashem speaking specifically to Aaron, something which usually only happens to Moshe Rabbeinu because of Aaron's commitment, because of this incredible self-sacrifice. We end this very complicated, very sad Aliyah. Have a wonderful and meaningful day.